Malachi chapter 4. We come to the end of this great book. Malachi is one of the minor prophets, not because it's minor in significance, but it's minor in size. Malachi has served us well for the previous nine weeks, and today it is a fitting conclusion on this Christmas morning as we see the messianic implications of chapter 4. Let's ask God's help as we look at his holy word once again this Christmas morning. Oh, Father, thank you so much. Help us, God. Holy Spirit, would you bring great understanding to our hearts of the words that we will read this morning. Give us hope. Give us peace. Enlighten us by your Spirit to understand what we would do, we would do because of these verses as we celebrate the Lord Jesus today. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we stopped at verse 1 of chapter 4, in which Israel was complaining, or a group of people in Israel were complaining, and this is what they were complaining. What's the point of serving God? It's in vain. It's worthless. It has no purpose. And the reason they were feeling like that is because they were looking at the wicked people getting away with their sin. And so they come to the point where they hated to serve God because they'd rather be sinning all they wanted. They were still worshiping, meaning they were going through the motions, doing all the right things, but they were doing it with no heart. They were just doing it because they knew they had to do it, but not because they really wanted to. And so the Lord tells them what the difference is between the wicked and the righteous. And there was, we saw at the end of chapter 3, a group of people that were righteous, that they did fear the Lord, that they did honor God. And the Lord is beginning to show them what is the difference between the wicked and the righteous. And the wicked do not have a pleasant ending. In verse 1 of chapter 4, God even says that he has his oven ready to go. And on that day when he comes, the wicked will have a severe ending. We go to chapter, verse 2 of chapter 4. And now God is addressing those righteous people. He's addressing those who fear the name of the Lord. This is what he says. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. What a beautiful verse. A beautiful promise that we will hold dear this morning. Who is this promise for? Well, God addresses this promise to those who fear my name. Those who love me, respect me, obey me. That's how you know who the righteous are. They are the ones who are loving and respecting and fearing the name of God. They are obeying God from the heart, not because of empty motions. They have faith in God alone. We've already seen that these people exist. And at the end of chapter 3, God says, write them in a book. We saw that last week, how God's people are written in a book. Again, there's only two kinds of people at the end of the day. Period. There are those who love God and those who don't. Or those who fear God and those who don't. The same is true today as it was back then. And at the end of history, when the last second ticks off the clock forever, 
There's only two kinds of people at the end. Those who love God and those who don't. Those who fear God and those who don't. That's it. And this is the case here. And so what's the promise for those who fear the name of God? For those people who are written in the book. They're living in a land of wickedness. They're living in a land of great sin in Israel. The promise is this. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. How appropriate on this Christmas morning. And I didn't plan it like that when I said we were going to do Malachi. That chapter 4 would be messianic on Christmas morning. This phrase is indeed a promise of Messiah that was to come to Israel in Malachi's day. Our Jewish friends are still waiting for the Messiah to come. However, I've got good news for you. The reason we have Christmas is because he has come. Amen? We're not waiting for him to be born. He has come already. In Malachi's day, this was a future reality of waiting for him to come. The Messiah is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Christmas is special. The eternal God of the universe has taken on human flesh. This is what we call the incarnation. The promise is given to us here in the form of a metaphor. A metaphor is a figure of speech that describes something in a figurative way. And so what is the promise? Let's look at it again. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. So let's break that down. The son shall rise. The word son is a beautiful metaphor for the coming Messiah. Why? Well, let alone the wordplay in English, son and son, but... In the Hebrew, that wordplay doesn't exist, although it looks really nice in English, doesn't it? However, we see that the Son is in reference to the Messiah, and it's a wonderful metaphor to use. Let's just think of the Son for a moment. The Son is our closest star to Earth. It is 93 million miles away, and yet it is still powerful enough to burn you when you're outside too long. The Son is powerful to be seen by all. It's high above us, bright and glorious, such as the Messiah is. He's powerful. He's seen by all. He's high above us. He's bright and he's glorious. The light from the earth takes eight minutes to reach earth. Yeah, look outside the window. That sunlight left the sun eight minutes ago. And we're just now seeing it. But even then, 93 million miles away, light comes to earth. And even though it's so far away, it still exposes the darkness every morning. The sun is a powerful metaphor to use to see what the Messiah would do. There's no other greater word to use but that to expel the darkness from the land. And this is what's happening in Israel. Sin is rampant. Priests are crooked. Idolatry is everywhere. There's no fear of God among, among the majority of the people. Wives are being thrown out with yesterday's trash by lustful husbands. Apathy has brought on so much darkness. And so God is saying to his people, Hey, for those who fear my name, you people who are now written in the book, this darkness will not last forever. Why? The sun shall rise. The sun shall rise with healing 
in its wings. Here's the promise. Although things are dark now, keep your chin up. The dawn is coming. Keep your chin up. The night doesn't last forever. The sun has risen on this dark world. And his light will shine forever with no end. The new heavens and new earth as described to us in Revelation tell us that there's no need for a sun. Why? Because the light of the Lamb is its light forever and ever. He is so glorious. He lights up the world. The sun shall rise. Have you ever had a really long night tossing and turning? The darkness is so discouraging. It happened last night to me. I woke up and I had, it was like in a deep sleep and I'm like, oh. Sure enough, it's almost time to get up. Let's go make the coffee. Let's go review the sermon. It was 1130. <laughs> I'd gone to bed at 10. I slept an hour and a half and I said, what's going on here? So I go back to bed and I go back to sleep and I'm like, okay, sure enough, it's time to wake up. It's 1.30. Like, this is a long night. What's going on here? Well, in Israel, it seems like a very dark night. There's so many people that don't fear the Lord. You can't trust anyone. Sin is everywhere. And the people who do fear the Lord are probably wondering, when are things going to change? Are things ever going to get better? Right? Why is there so much wickedness in our land? And God's promise to them who fear his name, the sun is coming. The sun is going to rise. And what does the sun do when it rises? It exposes and dispels darkness everywhere. If you're in a dark room and you hit the flip on the light, the light encompasses the entire room where darkness is nowhere to be seen. This is what the promise is for these people. Once the sun crosses that horizon, the darkness runs away. It flees at the glory of the sun, just like evil and wickedness and darkness and sin does when the glory of God enters the world. Amen. And this is a really appropriate metaphor, again, for God, because in several other places in the Old Testament, God refers to himself as the sun, again, in a figurative way. For example, in Psalm 84, verse 11. The psalmist writes, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And also in Habakkuk chapter 3, God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands, and there he veiled his power. And Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. So this metaphor, this analogy of the sun and the light shining upon God's people is not new to Israel. And so therefore, we can look at a promise like this and see that God is promising that he himself would come. Which again is another proof, why? That the Messiah would be God. He's just not going to be another person, 
another mighty man like David who arrives on the scene. No, the Messiah when he comes will be God in the flesh. He is the mighty God. The sun shall rise and dispel the darkness. It is no wonder that when Jesus was preaching and teaching on the earth, he said such things as this in John chapter 8 verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Many metaphors in the scriptures about light and the sun referring to God. This is a messianic promise to those who fear the name. Keep trusting me, you people who are written in the book. Things are really bad right now. Things are really dark right now. But there's a sunrise coming. There's a sunrise coming. And things will be different when the sun rises. What kind of sun is it? It's a sun of righteousness. Let's go back to Malachi 4, 2. What kind of sun is it? It's a sun of righteousness. What makes this sun so bright? It's a sun of righteousness. What is righteousness? It is doing right according to the law. That's what righteousness is. It's justice. What is true justice? And there's a lot of different people that want to define justice their own way today. You know, you play by my rules. This is what is just. This is what is right. But no, the only one who could determine and define what is justice is God. Why? Because justice is determined by his law. What is right? What is good? What is honorable? So therefore, when the son of righteousness comes, it is one in accordance with the law of God. This is why darkness flees. Why? Because what is sin? Sin is disobeying God's law. And so sin brings darkness. Righteousness obeys God's law and dispels the darkness. This is why uh, there is so much darkness in the land. But when the sun comes, it's going to be a new day dawning. Because there is one who is coming who is righteous. This is what God is telling Malachi. There is one who is coming that is righteous. And when he comes, all those lawbreakers will be contrasted to him. He comes in obedience. He comes obeying God's law, standing up against evil, and even laying down his life. And when the son of righteousness comes, what does he bring with him? Healing in its wings, is what Malachi says. The son of righteousness shall rise with what? Healing in its wings. The people's sin has brought upon a curse. We've seen that two or three times already in Malachi. God, it says, I have cursed you with a curse. What is the curse? Death, disease, sickness. But when this sun of righteousness rises, there will be healing. Interesting, this word healing in the Hebrew could also be translated the cure. The cure, right? So when the sun of righteousness rises, he will have the cure. The cure for what? The cure for the curse. It's like the song that we sang this morning, and it's probably my favorite Christmas carol. And it's not even supposed to be a Christmas carol. It was not even written, supposed to be about Christmas. It's about the second coming, and it's joy to the world. Did you know that? It's not even a Christmas carol. We've made it into a Christmas carol, and it's going to stay a Christmas carol. But the guy who wrote it didn't even write it for that purpose. But why is there joy to the world? Because the curse is removed. Everywhere, as far as the curse is found, where? 
There's joy to the world. Why? Because the Son of Righteousness has come with healing and his wings. Oh, yes, the Messiah is coming, Malachi. And you who fear the Lord, you will see him. And he'll be unlike any person that's ever lived before. He will be righteous. He has the cure. But more than that, he is the cure. He is the healing that you need for the sickness that resides within you. And this healing is not talking about cancer or sickness or any kind of disease necessarily. It's talking about the disease of our hearts. It's the curse of our sin which we have brought upon us. That is, where, that is the problem happening in Israel. The problem in Israel is not that they are all not feeling well. It's that they are sinners who love their sin and the darkness that resides within them. Isaiah puts it this way. In Isaiah chapter 53, speaking of the servant of the Lord, what does he bring when he is sacrificed? Isaiah 53, 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are what? Healed. That's right. When Messiah comes, there will be healing. There will be healing. Now, a lot of prosperity, faith, and health people like to say, this is the verse why there's faith healing and stuff like that. But this is referring to sin. The context doesn't allow for anything else. Yes, there's coming a day when sin is completely eradicated from this world. And in the new heavens and new earth where there is no sin, guess what? There is no cancer. There is no death. There is no disease. Amen. Does that sound like a good place to be? Yeah. That's right. Before we get to that place, though, of ultimate healing with no sin, the first healing that needs to happen is our own hearts. So let's just review. Some in Israel are saying, what's the point in serving God? What's the point? It's vain to serve him. It's meaningless. The wicked are getting away with their sin. But what has God already told them? That this coming day of the Lord will bring what? It will remove the wicked by throwing them, throwing them into the oven of God's hot wrath. And also, for those who fear his name, there will be healing for those who fear the Lord. Look at the end of that verse 4-2. You shall go out like you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Here's another metaphor, a picture. And the idea here is a, of a fattened calf that is about to be sacrificed or eaten. They have fattened him up for a purpose. We're going to eat him. But when the sun of righteousness rises with healing in its wings, you will leap from the stall like a calf. What's the idea there? The idea is that the calf is leaping with excitement. Why? Because it's escaped the dinner plate. It has escaped slaughter. Why? Because it has been rescued. It has escaped the wrath of the butcher. This is what God is saying. For those who fear my name, 
The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out leaping like a calf from the stall who is not going to be slaughtered, who's not going to be eaten, who's not going to be sacrificed. It's a good day to be a leaping calf. It's a good day because you will know that the sun of righteousness has brought healing to your heart of sin. And because he has brought healing to your heart of sin, you are under no more judgment from God. That is good news, my friends. That's why they're leaping. That's why they're having great joy and praise in their hearts. Is it vain to serve the Lord? Oh, Israel. Because this is the promise for those who fear his name. And what about those wicked people who are getting away with their sin? What about those wicked people who you are lusting after them? That, boy, I wish I could be them. And I'm just going through the motions here. But they're doing whatever they want. Well, let's happen... What happens to the wicked? Verse 1, they get thrown into the oven. We saw that. Number th- verse 3. And you, speaking of the righteous, shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. What's the difference between the wicked and the righteous, God says? There is judgment for the wicked. So much so that on that day, you're going to be walking on their ashes. Why? Because I have judged them in the oven of my hot wrath. And what happens to you? You're healed and you go leaping like a calf who's escaped judgment. Which team do you want to be on? Team oven or team calf? Choose. (laughs) What's the difference, Israel? Do you get it now? Is it vain to serve me? Do you really want to be on the other team? No. No, you don't. No, you don't at all. And then he says in verse 4, Remember, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. You're my people. You fear my name. You respect me. Great. Here's what you got to do. Until the sun rises with healing in his wings... You got to keep doing what I've told you to do. My law matters. Respect me. Fear my, you fear my name now? Good. Keep on fearing my name. How do you fear my name? You do what I've told you to do. This is what even Jesus tells his disciples. Jesus tells his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why? Because we're yours. You're our master. We're your servant. We love you. We honor you. You tell us. We do it. Right? This is what it means to fear the Lord. We obey Him. It's shown in obedience. We don't obey Him in order to love Him. No, we obey Him because we do love Him. We obey Him because we do love Him. And so this is what He said. All those other wicked people, they're going to keep not fearing my name. They're going to, those priests are going to keep being wicked and cruel. But you, you, oh you, just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Keep doing. Don't give up. The sun of righteousness is coming. You keep obeying. And how will we know when that day comes? I can hear Israel asking God. How will we know when we're close to his coming? This is what God says in verse 5. Here's something to look for. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, 
before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike down the land with a decree of utter destruction. How will we know that the sun of righteousness is rising with healing? Is it going to be tomorrow? Next week? What is it coming? And what they didn't know is it was going to be another 400 years. 400 years. And this generation dies and another generation comes. And another generation after that. Another generation after that. But the word of God endures for the next generation and generation. So this promise continues. How will we know that that day is getting close? I'm going to send you Elijah. The pro- Elijah? Lord, he, he died a long time ago. I mean, Elijah is long dead. How will we? He's coming back? It, uh, how? How does that happen? Well, who is this Elijah the prophet? And again, this is where you let the Scripture interpret the Scripture. This is the best interpretation of Scripture. So I think what Jesus says will probably be the best answer. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus tells us who this Elijah is. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you, among those born of women... There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent taken it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. There you go. Who is the Elijah who was to come? How will we know that the son of righteousness has risen with healing? First, I'm going to send you Elijah. Well, here is how the story begins. The Christmas story begins how in Luke chapter 1? It comes with a pronouncement of birth to a barren woman named Elizabeth and a man named Zechariah. And that baby that was born was conceived in Elizabeth's womb, was John the Baptist. And it was John the Baptist who preached in those days before Jesus began his public ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he baptized them when they showed fruits of repentance. He would turn their hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. How? Through repentance. In Malachi chapter 3, we even see another prophecy of John the Baptist. So here's two in the last chapter alone. The beginning of chapter 3 and the end of chapter 4 tells us both that John the Baptist is coming. And here the prophecy is he would be someone like Elijah. Respected, loud, (laughs) gets the job done. And he came. And when Jesus walked to the Jordan that day and John saw his cousin, he said what? Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. How will we know that that day is coming? 
I'm going to send you Elijah. Jesus tells them exactly who Elijah was. It's John the Baptist. And this is not just what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, but it's also what the angel tells Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, when Zechariah gets the news that John the Baptist is conceived in Elizabeth's womb. In Luke chapter 1, verse 16, speaking of what this baby would do, John the Baptist, right? And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. How did he turn them to the Lord their God? By preaching repentance. See, that's the one, that's the dirty word in the church today. Not in our church, but in many churches. They don't preach repentance. It's just feel-good stuff. And self-improvement and moralistic living. No, repent. You have sinned against God. Change your mind about your sin and turn to God in repentance. This is what John the Baptist did. How did he turn the hearts of children to the fathers? By preaching against sin and calling them to come back to God. This is the prophecy that the angel tells them. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of who? Say it again. Elijah. This is the announcement that Zechariah receives when he finds out that John is coming. What does the angel call him? He will come in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Yes, John the Baptist is prophecy fulfilled of Malachi chapter 4 and Malachi chapter 3. And then later on, here's one more proof that John the Baptist is this Elijah. In Luke chapter 1, verse 76 through 79, listen to these words, and there's no mistaking that this is tied to Malachi chapter 4. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Again, speaking of who? John the Baptist. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Now listen to this. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Does that sound familiar? The sunrise shall visit us. You, John, this is just, he's just a baby at the time. You, John, will go turn the hearts to God to give knowledge of salvation through repentance and forgiveness of sins. And whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Speaking of Malachi 4 of the Messiah. To do what? To give us light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Oh, this is awesome. This is why you let the scripture interpret the scripture. John the Baptist was that Elijah who was to come and he did exactly what Jesus and Malachi said he would do. He would turn the hearts of the people toward their God. He would prepare the way, preaching repentance. So when Jesus comes, they see him whom they have waited so eagerly for. 
And many people follow him in belief. Dark days we live in God. I mean, imagine living in Malachi's day. And you being one of those righteous people. Is anyone going to worship you? Is things, are things going to get any better? This can't keep going on like this. And the promise to those who fear the Lord is, keep your chin up. For those who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you should go leaping like a calf out of the stall. I don't know about you, but that's kind of how I felt when I got saved. You mean I'm not going to hell? Thank you, God. Thank you for loving me. I've escaped your wrath. I now stand justified, righteous. I stand now before you with no condemnation. Thank you. This is why when the angels announced to the shepherds, on that night, peace on earth and goodwill to men among those with whom he is well pleased. Why? Because I'm going to tell you this. Jesus is very good news for those who believe him. But for those who reject him and for those who deny him, he is not good news. He is the one who is operating the oven of God's hot wrath. And this is how the book of Revelation ends, doesn't it? Yes, he is coming for those who fear the name of the Lord. But to reject him, to deny him, you will see how unsafe he truly is. May you know the Lord Jesus. May the apathy that rests in our hearts melt away. We've gone through four chapters of Malachi, and we've seen the apathy that has ruled the hearts of these people. And we all have gone through periods of darkness and depression and going through the motions. On this Christmas morning, now that we're done with Malachi, may you see that that is not the way God wants us to live. Sin creeps up and takes us astray, confuses us, robs us of our joy, robs us of our worship of this God. May we know, as the people in Malachi learned, those who were written in the book, that the days that are coming because of this Messiah, because of Jesus, the Son of Righteousness, which rises with healing in His wings, are far better Far better. The glories of him are far better than going through the motions. Oh God, melt our hearts. Purify us and remove any sin and guilt that we reside in today. The sin that we keep running to each and every day like a dog returns to its vomit. God, make us miserable until we turn to you. That's always the answer. Those who feared the name of God in Malachi turned to the Lord. They feared his name. Those who feared the name of in John the Baptist day, what did they do? They repented of their sins and turned to him. Oh God, do the same today. Do the same in our church. 
Do the same in our city. Do the same in our nation, right? May God bring revival in this next year. Because a son has risen. He's not only risen and incarnated in Bethlehem, but he's risen from the dead and he is coming again. Yes, there's dark days that we live in today still. But the promise is this. Because we know he has come, because we know he has died and risen again, we know he is coming again. He is coming again. Perhaps in 2023. Who knows? That would be glorious. Until that day comes, we remain hopeful. We remain with our eyes cast upon him. Oh God, give us the peace to trust you, obey you, serve you, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in this life. Keep my sin before my eyes at all times that I may serve you and trust you and repent of it, crucify it, kill my old flesh. Oh God, never let me fall into a state of apathy again. Make that your prayer today. Learn a lot from the book of Malachi. I'm kind of sad that it's over. So good. I, I guess I'm like that when we get to the end of any book. I'm sad that it's over. But God's word is awesome. And next week we'll unfold the glories of Daniel over the next I don't know, however many months. And we'll see what the Lord has for us then. But what a way to conclude the year with this messianic promise, with the son of righteousness, with healing in his wings. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful promise. Thank you that so many in this room, the day they got saved, are leaping like a calf, escaping from his stall. Oh, God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace given to us in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those in this room or those who may be watching us online that you would grant the repentance necessary to their hearts. Give them the gift of faith that is needed to trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Not their works, not their church membership, not their moral behavior. May we all humble ourselves knowing that we need a Savior and that the Savior has come. And this is why we celebrate the way we do on Christmas morning. Help us, God, to know the truth Obey the truth, glory in the truth. Do your work in your people as you have promised, according to your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing one more Christmas hymn. Oh, come, let us adore him. We have. What a great way to conclude. Merry Christmas. I love you all. What a joy it is to be your pastor. May the Lord bless you as we conclude this year and enter a new one. And if I don't see you next Sunday, Happy New Year too. God bless you.